Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Ireland is going to the polls on May the 25th to vote about abortion. Effectively, whether to legalise abortion up to 12 weeks, which involves repealing the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which bans it. Now, last time they voted on this, back in 1983, the pro-life campaign was led by the Irish bishops, tremendous rosary processions, and they were very triumphalist and very confident. Now, the Catholic Church is keeping a low profile, and it's the secularists who want repeal who are ahead in the opinion polls. And now they're the triumphalist ones because, let's face it, the reputation of the Catholic Church in Ireland is at an all-time low following a series of grotesque abuse scandals involving not just sex but physical maltreatment in orphanages and schools. So, important though the subject is, this is a vote about more than abortion. It's a vote about Ireland's identity and its relationship with a church which used to pretty nearly define its national identity. I'm joined by Tony Trowbridge, an Australian commentator. Welcome back, Tony. You're also an Irish citizen, having studied law at Trinity College Dublin in the 1970s. And I'm thinking you must have seen a terrific change in the nature of Ireland's relationship with the church since, say, 1977. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering why two men are discussing abortion, we were expecting to be joined by a spokeswoman for Lawyers for Choice in Ireland, but at the last moment she couldn't make it. So background to this debate, I think, is how things used to be. So back in the 1970s, were people deferential towards the Catholic Church? That would be a huge understatement. What has happened, obviously, since is that the changes in society have impacted hugely on the standing of the Catholic Church in Ireland, and in particular, the economic success that Ireland has enjoyed has meant that processes which might have indeed taken place in the end have accelerated hugely, such as women working because they were well-paid jobs available, would involve them having fewer children. Having fewer children involves them asking, how can I stop having as many children? Contraception being the answer. And who's standing in the way of my employing contraception? The Catholic Church. And the Catholic priest, to whom people were remarkably deferential, weren't they? Absolutely. Uh, particularly your local priest. To be honest, the bishop mattered less than your local PP. In those days, if, uh, if a priest walked by, you'd step in the gutter while doffing your hat. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've come across that, and I also remember that the, the priest's mother used to sort of rule the village. I suspect she, she doesn't boast about it anymore. But Ireland simply isn't a land of villages, as it once was. Urban Ireland meant a relatively small city, Dublin, once. Uh, now it involves a greatly expanded Dublin with an economic and political culture built around that city which dominates Ireland the way that the home counties dominate this country. That's a very good point, and I want to return to it. So what this abortion campaign is showing us in a way that is very, very shocking and depressing for devout Catholics and also very exciting for secularists is that a country which was once very, very religious, has become very anti-clerical in a remarkably short space of time. Now, there are historical precedents for this, but surely they go back rather a long way, this sort of thing on mainland Europe. 
Yes, it's a reminder to those Irish who think that they're very quickly caught up with the rest of the world that actually they're going through precisely what took place in advanced European countries, say, between the French Revolution and the middle of the 19th century, when for a while the uh, bourgeoisie despised the church and wished have nothing to do with it at all. Yet within uh, 60, 70 years, the utility of the church to them in terms of presenting a bar to revolution, providing an education of high quality otherwise unavailable to their children, this was made apparent to them and uh, they started having a rethink. And that is the very thing that the Catholic Church is not in a position to offer now. And in fact, who knows, in, uh, in 40 years' time, people may no longer even want that. Well, I'm not sure they want it now. I mean, I fear for the future of the biggest, most distinguished Catholic schools in this country. I'm, I'm not convinced that they will survive because there have been equivalent, if perhaps not quite so horrifying, scandals in this country as well. Let's go back to the wider context. In 1983, there's a referendum on abortion. And effectively, the Irish church, which was given enormous powers under the Irish Free State. By the way, the referendum was not necessary. It was a case of the Irish Church asserting its power, demanding that the referendum be held, which they had to win, which they were bound to win. It's not as if there were a whole lot of abortions taking place at the time, which this amendment prevented. It was a political exercise. So to that extent, what's happening at the moment is an undoing in a very changed political climate of what happened before. Yeah, I'm, I was rather wondering whether the, you know, that referendum had been necessary and perhaps it's... It was never necessary at all. So there was a tremendous amount of finger-wagging by the Irish bishops, motivated by genuine religious conviction, no doubt, but nonetheless they expected Catholic voters to do their duty, and there would be literally hell to pay if they didn't. Now, it's been suggested in The Guardian of all places that the finger-wagging is coming from another direction. Patrick McCabe, one of Anna's best-known novelists, has warned the Irish middle classes that they could be in danger of overplaying their hand. He said in an interview, I really don't like this finger-wagging from the media elite. I don't like the primness of it, and the Liberals are very good at this primness. Maybe that's what the boy in the tractor in the rural parts of Ireland will look on and say, if you keep wagging that finger, I'll bite it off. That is, vote against the repeal. The opinion polls are fairly clearly in favour of repeal. As far as I can recall in the same piece, he makes an analogy between the anti-abortion cause and the Trump voters in uh, the United States. It's not an obvious analogy, but it's not without merit in my view. There's a rage against the metropolitan liberals dictating to ordinary folk. The only problem is, are there enough ordinary folk? I mean, we can't even rely upon, uh, when I say we, I mean the uh, people who'd be voting against in this referendum. It's kind of assumed that their support is solid and that a low turnout might just allow them to win. I don't think this will actually happen. I'm expecting 57-43. We should always remember that your ostensibly hardline rural Catholic middle class type, they're often covertly not uh, quite as anti-abortion as they might profess to be, which is to say if their own daughter were to get pregnant age 16, it's nice to have that, that option. 
and uh, the horrible sin uh, involved, that could somehow be uh, sorted out subsequently. Anything rather than the social disgrace attended upon that. You mentioned Trump. Certainly, I sense anxiety in the Dublin media classes, which are overwhelmingly pro-repeal, that something similar might happen in Ireland. The, the very last moment, victory will be snatched from them. Whether the analogy is a good one or not, I'm not sure, because Trump's victory was primarily the result of economic anxieties. This is an argument about a moral question, and I'm by no means convinced that younger people in Ireland, or indeed younger people anywhere, are even lending an ear to the pro-life cause, which, in my opinion, is not making its case particularly eloquently, but then it's just so desperately conscious of the embarrassment, the humiliation of the sins committed by Ireland's Catholic clergy and religion. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the Magdalene laundries, we're talking about cemeteries with baby skeletons next door to convents, talking about the Kerry babies. None of this is defensible. And what strikes me is that what actually happened, these baby cemeteries, this dreadful abuse by brothers and nuns, I think the religious are particularly violent in their treatment of young people, bears a strange resemblance to the largely fictional anti-Catholic propaganda of 100 years ago that yeah. circulated, well, not only in Britain, but in America and, and in anti-clerical Europe. Here's a slightly strained analogy. In the 30s, the Nazis were engaged in fairly tough negotiations with the Catholic Church about control of Catholic youth organisations and Catholic control of education in various of the states of Germany. And one of the arguments they used to deploy was, well, we know a lot about paedophile priests which you would want to come out. It was a useful way of uh, improving their bargaining position. I remember when I first encountered all this, just reading about it, I was thinking, this is obvious bullshit. Actually, of course, they're onto something. It's always gone on to some extent because you have the opportunity and uh, you have necessarily some people in the priesthood who are simply incapable of resisting the temptations which come their way. It's not just the priesthood, of course. It was the Christian brothers and nuns, and what strikes me, not just reading about the subject, but talking to a friend of mine, an elderly lady who was in one of these terrible orphanages back in the 1950s, is a sort of shameless sadism of these supposed Christians put in charge of looking after children. I think that's exaggerating a little. I think uh, it's a case of relatively simple people unsuited to uh, the holding of any authority at all over anyone. A streak of cruelty will exhibit itself given a situation where they have almost no limitations upon control of their charges. Well, it's perhaps an unfashionable point to make, but I remember a priest who specialises in studying this saying to me that you have to remember that many of these brothers and nuns themselves came from abusive alcoholic families and passed on this cruelty or perhaps their frustration at not being able to have families themselves to their young charges. So, Tony, when, when you were in Ireland in, in the late 70s, did you know this stuff was going on? I mean, did you know about the laundries, the Magdalene laundries? Only a little more than anyone else. 
But just by chance, while I was waiting for Trinity College to find me satisfactory accommodation uh, in college, I was uh, living out for a bit and I used to get my laundry done at a laundry next door to the local convent. And the thing I remember about it was just how god-awful the quality of the laundry was. If I only lost two buttons from a typical shirt, uh, that was cause for rejoicing. I think the poor children, they must have been eating them uh, on account of their starvation. You know. <laughs> All right, OK. Well, we're only a month away from the vote. Both of us suspect that the Irish people will vote to repeal. I wonder whether they know what they're voting for. And we cannot be entirely sure that it will get through both houses of the Irish Parliament. That's true. Let's suppose it does. A limit of 12 weeks, to me, sounds like... A holding position, given the extraordinary militancy of the pro-choice lobby in Ireland. I would expect Ireland to move towards a situation rather similar to that in the United Kingdom, where one in five pregnancies ends in abortion. I don't think the Irish should kid themselves that they're voting for a halfway house position in the long run. And to me, a more dramatic statistic is that by the time they're 45, one in three women in this country have had an abortion, which the first time I encountered that stat, it made me sit up and think. From my point of view, it's depressing that so few people who aren't affiliated to the Catholic Church are sitting up and thinking about the consequences of such a situation. But, as we said, until now in Ireland, the case against abortion has been overwhelmingly made by the Catholic Church, an organisation which now seems hopelessly compromised, whose own bishops are divided on how to approach the subject, and whose morale is now exceedingly low. And I find myself the smartest bishops tend to defer over much to the secular opponents. Oh, Dermot, Dermot Martin of, uh, of Dublin. The mark of a man who is on top of his job is someone who schmoozes his opponents at every opportunity. In the case of Archbishop Martin, I think he's also a man who's desperate for a red hat. It's very hard to see how the Catholic Church in Ireland can regain its moral authority, not least because, in my opinion anyway, there was always something slightly wrong with Irish Catholicism. It had a rather joyless, almost paradoxically Calvinist feel to it. It wasn't much fun. There was always an element of tyranny in the pastoral relationship between the clergy and the faithful. But of course, of course, remember, it was doing double duty. It incarnated the cause of national freedom together with that of fidelity to the faith which will save your soul. And, and churches that try to do that, as we've seen with the Orthodox churches in Eastern Europe. I was thinking of Poland. Actually, Poland's an interesting comparison. Poland is a country that's also secularising very rapidly and where young people talk and think of the Polish church with contempt. But alas, there's no law and justice party in Ireland. We'll have to agree to disagree on that. I'm not fans of those folk. In the short term, Irish secularism seems unstoppable. It also seems to me a little bit fragile because Ireland has lurched so quickly from a virtual theocracy into a, an anti-clerical society. And the Irish left, in particular, seem blind to the irony that it's capitalism and free markets that have suddenly given them this space in which to build this secular, humanist, brave new world, which deep down doesn't feel very Irish to me. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Irish just don't want to be Irish in the way that you're thinking of. 
Tony Trowbridge, thank you very much. That was Holy Smoke. Join us again in two weeks' time, and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review us. <laughs>